You're listening to The Thriving Lawyer with Kathleen Brenner. Are you a lawyer who's feeling burnt out but wants more in life? Do you want to live a purpose-driven life that is filled with more meaning and joy? A life where you can absolutely thrive as a lawyer, but not at the expense of everything else that's important to you. If you are, you've come to the right place. I'm a lawyer, a coach, a dreamer, and a change maker. My mission is to help you grow and thrive, to embody your values and strengths as both a lawyer and human being, and to expand what is possible for you, so you can create a more joyful, fulfilling, and impactful life than you ever previously imagined possible to thrive. Hello, lawyers. Welcome to episode four of The Thriving Lawyer. So today I wanted to shift gears a little bit from our talk that we've had over the last couple of weeks about the doing obsession and this idea that for every yes there is a no and shift gears over to adopting a coaching mindset. Now I wanted to talk about this topic because I really believe that adopting such a mindset can have an absolutely transformative effect on our lives. I know it certainly had a really big impact on mine. I am aware though that this can be challenging for lawyers and I think that there are some very real barriers for us in adopting such a mindset and they have a lot to do with how we're trained and the degree to which our roles, well they often involve identifying problems and or the risks in a particular course of action for our clients. In fact, in 2005, in what is a now classic and often cited article, Martin Seligman, who's frequently cited as the father of modern positive psychology, co-wrote the rather colourfully titled article, Why Lawyers Are Unhappy. And he argued that one cause of high levels of lawyer unhappiness was the tendency for us to have what he termed a pessimistic explanatory style. Now, in my book, that's fancy language for essentially saying that lawyers are more likely to interpret negative events in a way that makes them seem inevitable, as if they will never change, what a pessimist would call realism, funnily enough. The strange thing is Seligman found that although pessimists don't generally do well in other professions, they tend to be rewarded in law. So it can be a positive to some extent. I'd argue though that's limited to it being deployed in its right context. So I think for those of us who've been lawyers for a while, this would be an entirely unsurprising finding. You know, it's true that as lawyers, so often we're advising our clients in really difficult times, or maybe we're providing advice on difficult problems. And so it's the very nature of our job to identify the risks of a particular course of action. And this, in the context of the provision of legal services, well, it can be a really good thing. We don't want our lawyers to be too Pollyanna-ish with their legal advice, saying something along the lines of, well, of course, the action is just fine. No risks, nothing to see here. Of course, we don't want our lawyers to be overly optimistic in the wrong context. But as I kind of flagged just a minute ago, it really is all about context. And what I see in my coaching and certainly have seen in my capacity as a practicing lawyer is that a risk for us is that we can apply that overly 
kind of risk averse or pessimistic kind of mindset and end up being blockers to our clients so it can actually affect the quality of our legal assistance or and I also see this and I know that I have done this myself in the past is apply it in the context of the rest of our lives when perhaps that kind of pessimism wasn't warranted you know we start risk assessing every aspect of our lives And let's face it, the challenges of the last few years have made it super easy to be a pessimist if that's what you want to do. You know, I think of my own life and I can think of various times when I was applying that pessimism, you know, and for me, I am naturally more of an optimist. So that pessimism didn't come naturally to me, but I was trained up to adopt it as a mindset through law school. And as I became more senior in my career as a lawyer, But I was applying it in areas where it really didn't deserve to be or wasn't appropriate to apply it. An example is, for example, delaying career change that I really wanted out of fears that once I made the change showed themselves to be really deeply misguided. And, you know, while I don't have research figures on it and I'd love to explore what research is out there, anecdotally from talking to other lawyers, particularly legal leaders, those lawyers who have been more optimistic and adaptable over the past couple of years have been the lawyers who've been able to weather the storm of the pandemic and create new opportunities for themselves. And it's those lawyers that tend to be more satisfied overall. And even, dare I say it, to thrive in the face of what were really, really big challenges. And so when I reflected on that particular discussion that I've had with at least one legal leader, what occurred to me is that I think that we can really supercharge this adaptability with the adoption of a coaching mindset. So first up, well, what do I mean? What what are our definitions that we're working on to make sense of this? Well, I think it's a really useful exercise to actually start with the definition of a coaching mindset provided by the International Coaching Federation, the ICF, which is the primary international body that regulates coaches. So I'm a big believer in the ICF. Um, They play a really important role in what is still a largely unregulated industry. And I'm accredited as an associate coach with the ICF. And to get that accreditation, I had to undertake certain training, a whole lot of coaching hours, and then then undergo a written and coaching examination that was designed to show that, well, that I met the coaching core competencies. Now, one of those core competencies for a coach is that they must embody a coaching mindset. And so the ICF defines this requirement as the requirement that the coach develops and maintains a mindset that is open curious, flexible, and client-centered. They further break that down into even more detail. So they identify that it has a number of aspects. They are that the coach acknowledges that clients are responsible for their own choices, engages in ongoing learning and development as a coach, develops an ongoing reflective practice to enhance one's coaching, remains aware of and open to the influence of context and culture on self and others, uses awareness of self 
and one's intuition to benefit clients, develops and maintains the ability to regulate one's emotions, mentally and emotionally prepares for sessions, and seeks help from outside sources when necessary. Now, whilst that definition applies specifically to the practice of coaches as coaches, I do think there's a lot that we can draw from this. And at its core, the coaching process is about exploration and the creation of possibility, and then reducing that gap between the current reality and those possibilities. It is not about thinking that you have all the answers and can tell others what to do. So to my mind, perhaps the most fundamental component of a coaching mindset is being curious. So rather than approaching a situation with a fixed view of what the answer is or what may or may not be possible, it's about being curious about what the possible answers might be. This is closely related to the adoption of a growth mindset. I'll have more to say about growth mindsets in a few weeks when I release a one-hour CPD session that I'm currently putting together for lawyers. But for the purposes of today's podcast, I think it's enough to say that people with a growth mindset think that they have the innate capacity to learn and grow and that there are skills or abilities, well, they're not fixed. You know, they can change. And so if you have this kind of mindset or attitude You'll take on a lifelong learning approach to growth so that if you feel stuck in life, you don't see this stuckness as something that will be enduring, but rather something that you can really approach with curiosity, a problem that you can experiment with, with tackling um, possibilities where the failure of any particular experiment, well, that's just extra information. And with this stance of curiosity and not assuming that we're the font of all wisdom, I think something else can emerge. So rather than being one answer, there may be many and differences become something to value and celebrate because by engaging with different people and ideas, more possibilities emerge. It is a starting point to see difference, not as a source of conflict, but rather, well, as a source of strength, a source of possibility. And I think that there's something else that we can dig out from all of this, which is that at its essence, coming to a problem or challenge with a coaching mindset is about not coming with a fixed agenda. It's a stance of openness. The ego is sidelined. It's not about showing that you are clever and have all the answers, but rather that you can ask the questions that find those answers. Now, It goes without saying that we're lawyers and as lawyers, we must be technical experts in the bits of the law that we practice in. We have a duty to have certain knowledge or to at least take a particular standard of care when we work with our clients. But I think this idea of a coaching mindset is important because lawyers have traditionally been rewarded for their cleverness. So they'll often not want to take risks for the fear or the consequence of getting it wrong. So that can make us overly risk averse and potentially more conservative than we need to be in the provision of our legal advice. And that's where the being the blocker comes in, right? Because if we're not being solutions focused, even though, of course, we must respect the law, we take the requisite due care with our advice, this kind of conservative mindset or risk averseness can blind us to what actually might be possible. I think the other part 
of the coaching mindset that we really need to cover is that it's really human-centered. So we keep the client as our central focus. So, you know, if we focus on some of those aspects that the ICF emphasize, also developing and maintaining the ability to regulate one's emotions, mentally and emotionally preparing and seeking help when necessary, I think this also goes to the reflective nature of the coaching mindset. You know, that that is that there's this self-care element, understanding the rest recovery cycle so that you're ready when you're switched on in your professional capacity and understanding too the basic science of emotional regulation so that you're able to show up in this way. In my view, it's becoming increasingly important for us to have at least Well, a basic understanding of the key insights of neuroscience, um, you know, how our brains work and the science of behavior change so that we can experiment and play with the insights to be able to show up more consistently with that coaching mindset. In my own coaching practice, I know that this is something that I have a coaching mindset around. I'm continually trying to grow my knowledge and my awareness of this area so that I can apply it with my clients so that I can share it with you. And really sharing it is a key priority because I see such need in the legal profession. And when I reflect on current affairs of the last few weeks and particularly all the talk about artificial intelligence, what becomes pretty clear to me is that I think as artificial intelligence becomes more pervasive in our lives, including our practice as lawyers. It's going to have a massive impact on how we lawyer. And I think it's fairly clear that those lawyers with these higher level human skills are going to be the lawyers that are more easily able to thrive and prosper in their careers. And I also note that employers are really increasingly looking for people with this skill, particularly in jobs that involve the management of people. Because when you have that kind of mindset and you're a manager, you start to see your role not to direct, but to enable and to help grow other people. And it's becoming more common. I have seen criteria for legal jobs in government, including having a coaching mindset as one of the key criteria um, that formed part of a broader leadership requirement. So with all of that, well, how do you foster one? Especially if you're a person who's been, well, let's just say more prone to the pessimistic style of thinking. Well, unfortunately, the reality is that it's not just something that you can go and think to yourself, well, okay, I'm going to develop or adopt. I'm going to adopt a coaching mindset and therefore I'm done and dusted, you know. Um, unfortunately we're all human we constantly fail we constantly forget but what is possible what we can do is and sorry to get a bit meta on you develop a coaching mindset about our coaching mindset what I mean by that is that we can just aim to notice it a bit more with how we're approaching it and practice and when we catch ourselves being overly pessimistic or bringing that fixed mindset, well, we can bring that coaching mindset to it and think about, well, what could we do differently? You know, just use that failure as information to inform our approach going forward. 
Ask yourself, how could I approach this problem with a different mindset? What might happen if I opened myself up to possibility? How could I draw on the expertise or knowledge of others to help get a better outcome here? What am I missing? All of those are really good questions to help you in the mission to develop and grow that coaching mindset. A final point before I wind up is that I just want to emphasize what a coaching mindset is not. Because if pessimism is not always useful, although of course we want our lawyers to um, point out risks where there are them and where clients need to be aware of them, what it is not is toxic positivity. Now, toxic positivity has been getting a bit of airtime because there is pressure to kind of always be happy or positive, And I don't think that that's helpful either. So I'm not talking about that kind of approach. Someone with a coaching mindset is really honest about the challenges that they face or the problems that are arise in a particular circumstance. They're very aware of the risks and the obstacles, but it's that awareness in the cold heart of light of the day rather than kind of just pointing out those risks or being pessimistic it's about being really thoughtful curious open and flexible in how you go about dealing with the situation in this way i think what we do is cut through this dichotomy of pessimism and optimism to a much more broad and rich understanding of how we can approach those problems. So overall, I do encourage you, go away, think about if you haven't already, how you might adopt a coaching mindset. Perhaps go away and think of, well, if you just took one step this week to start to go in the direction of having that mindset, what would be that step that you would take? And then perhaps think about how you can support yourself in doing that. And maybe even make time at the end of the week, once you've done it, reflect on, well, what difference has it made? Has it made any difference? What might you do in the following weeks to build on what you've learned? All good questions. And so if you'd like to explore this with me further, please get in touch via email. I'll put the details in the show notes for this episode. And if you don't yet receive my regular newsletter, Well, I'd love you to sign up. I've really tried to make the newsletter a regular source of ideas and tips that are really designed to help provide you with food for thought so that you as a lawyer can thrive. Um, I'll put the link to the show notes. So hope you've enjoyed that. Hope you've got something out of it. Until next time, lawyers. Lawyers.